you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Why does Grindr care about LGBTQ millennial travel habits? How much money are queer millennials spending on travel and what are our travel preferences? Did you know, like your father and his playboys, you can download Grindr for its articles? <laughs> we talk about all this and more with Grindr and Intu's editor-in-chief, Zach Stafford. This is a fun episode that'll make you want to book your next vacation today. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the How to Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge, coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, Zach Stafford, to Queer Money. Would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of a background on, on who you are and who you work for? Oh, for sure. So I'm Zach Stafford. I'm the editor-in-chief of Into Digital Magazine uh, that launched about six months ago. That's now, I think, one of the most read LGBT news outlets in the world, which is exciting. And I'm also the editor-in-chief of Grindr, the world's largest app for queer men and trans women and other queer folks that want to find men that are queer, too. But I'm a journalist by training. I've worked in media for a while now. I was at The Guardian before this as a reporter and columnist. And I was also the editor-at-large of Out Magazine for a while. So I'm kind of like the gay media person uh, for a lot of <laughs> a lot of news. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you guys today. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate having you. And the reason we got connected was because one of the people that works at Grindr reached out to us about a study that Grindr recently did about LGBTQ travel. Through the course of a couple months, we kind of created some additional content because we're more focused on personal finance for the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And this particular study was more about simply travel and trends within the LGBT community. So we asked them to add a couple additional questions to their survey, and they were kind enough to acquiesce and ask some additional questions. So we're going to have an interesting conversation today, I think, with the LGBT community, gay men, I think, particularly. We are obsessed with travel. Yes, <laughs> maybe, we are. Maybe to our detriment. Uh, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. And maybe Zach can provide us some context around that. So would you mind, Zach, giving us a little bit of a background of the study and why Grindr created it? For sure. So we at Grindr are always interested in knowing more about our users as they continue to grow. And we also want to know about like how they're using our app and our magazine and how we can maybe, from understanding that, make it even better for them or optimize it. So something that Grindr is really useful for, for many people that people don't always think about beyond a hookup or a quick connection with someone is it's really great to explore a new place with. So we see a lot of users re-download the app or download the app for the first time when they're in a new place. Usually when we're in new places, it's because we're traveling. Travel is a huge part of a Grindr user's experience because when they go to a new area, they have a direct line to hundreds of men in their immediate area and trans folk too who can give them insider knowledge of the places they're at. And it's much quicker than a Yelp review or buying a guide. So very quickly over the past nine years, Grindr has become the go-to travel guide for many people if you want authentic and integrated experiences in a city like Barcelona or wherever you're traveling. So we launched a survey to really understand the magnitude of that usage of our app and also to know what else we can learn from folks and what they're using to travel. That's great. David and I have 
access to Grinder. We've used it sporadically, but I think more often than not, when we do use it, it is because we're in a different city or in a different country, and we want to find out. Okay, well, I know that the the blogs are saying this is the hot happening place to go to tonight, but mm-hmm. is that really true? Yeah, <laughs> it's two years old. Is that true? Yeah, and some things happen like kind of out of nowhere. Like you have something that a special party that pops up that oh, it's really for the locals, but you as a traveler really want to go to. You want to get a local experience, and sometimes, as you said, like the blogs haven't updated recently, so. It's really hard to get real-time queer information because a lot of it is underground, but Grindr is a really great source to get underground information if you're interested. Absolutely. That's great. So what were some of the biggest takeaways from this study for you? Yeah. So I think something that was really interesting is just like how much we do actually travel. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, it was pretty amazing. So it was saying that I think it's over 50% of our users do travel frequently. Oh no, sorry. I'm lying. It's 40% of our users are traveling each quarter which is a lot. That's four times a year some of them are traveling. And some of them are even saying 24% of them said each month. Those are big stats for me. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of movement. When I thought about my own friends and looking at their Instagrams, that does seem accurate. Some of them do do quick trips to Palm Springs or to Nashville, and they're always hopping around with each other. And a lot of it, I think it has to do with the fact that we as LGBT people usually grew up in a place that we left eventually. Like many of us have stories of traveling to a bigger city or a new city, an urban place. And so we have large networks around the country or the world of friends that we were friends with in different cities we lived in or from our hometown. So movement is very natural to us that we left home and went to a new home and then built another home with someone else. So the fact that we're moving around the world so often actually isn't surprising when you think about it because our community is so global and there's so much for us to do. And to see that reflected in the data is really cool. What was also really cool is that this is mostly for millennials and that we found that almost 40% are planning their trips up to three months in advance. So they're not sporadic. They're things that we really do take time with, some time with, and we really are trying to make them really special by putting effort into them, coordinating with friends. So that was really cool to see that we are really interested in like building a travel community for ourselves and also seeing the world in an era that we are more accessible to the world. And so it's cool to see that reflected in the data. Yeah, I think when you take in all the data that you compiled and other data that we know from other studies, as a community within the U.S., the LGBT population is spending about 10% of our nearly $1 trillion purchasing power on mm-hmm. travel. That yeah. is gigantic. Yeah, almost $100 billion. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge yes. amount of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, we're really powerful when you think of it that way. <laughs> it is. We are very powerful. And that begs the question of, are we utilizing our money wisely? Mm-hmm. I think travel is great. Do you think this is helping us connect with other communities who might not think they know LGBT people? Or does it help fight homophobia in any way, shape or form, do you think? I think it can. And I do think that's why using an app like Grindr and having local connections could really help drive that. So of course, not every time we're flying somewhere and we're doing kind of like on the ground boots, on the ground activism. So when we go on these cruises, we're definitely not changing the way a cruise liner thinks about queer people because they're already building these queer trips for us already. But I do think when we're going to countries, especially in developing nations or nations in which same-sex laws are not the same as ours, like a country like Australia was one of our top 10 destinations and they just got same-sex marriage. I do think that does help because I do know from my own conversations with people that they do fly to these places and they talk about kind of the rights that we in America have or what the fights we've won here. And they transfer that hope that we see here to those countries. So I know I have friends in Australia that were looking a lot to America as they were fighting for the vote for uh, Yes on One, I think is the campaign Mm -hmm. um, that got a marriage. And America was very much a part of that. That's because American tourism was a part of Australia. So I do think tourism can be a really 
big part of change around the world if you do it intentionally. Absolutely. So, of course, our travel isn't entirely altruistic. What do you think is the root of why we love to travel, especially I think gay men love to travel so much? It's almost like in our DNA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe there's something about being a gay man that is part of you is forced to travel a lot. And we're always seeking new adventures and seeking to find people like us, even in our cities. Because some of us who even live in the city of Los Angeles, like I do, I have to go out and find places for me when I moved here. So I had to find the local gay bar in my neighborhood. I had to find friends like me. So we're really used to going to places where not everything was built for us or built with us in mind, but being able to find space there and find entertainment enjoyment is very much what we do in a domestic way. That would, for me, make sense that it transfers to travel, that we're really comfortable being alone in a new place and having to make new friends and new connections because we had to do that in our own homes for a long time. So I think that kind of that conditioning that we've been through is why travel is such a big part. We're not afraid to go to a new place and be like, hey, you're a new person. I'm gay. You're gay. We have a, a bridge to connect. Let's see what that means. And can you show me the city? It's maybe like the positive side to some, some people would call homophobia. Right. Uh, but uh, it's working and it's making us see more of the world than our straight counterparts. Right. I think one of the things you're pointing out here is that kind of innately as queer people, we have this desire to explore because more often than not, we were residing in a place, whether that's physically or mentally, we were residing in a place where we didn't necessarily feel comfortable and we wanted to get out there to find that comfort, to find, like you said, people that look like us, people that have lifestyles like us, people that we can enjoy being friends with or maybe even more. So it might start out as the kid in the suburb coming into the city, but that then as we grow up, we want to go to another city or we got to go to another country as a way of exploring more to find people like us. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, it's so important for queer people to continue to do this beyond the capitalism part of this. Like, oh yeah, go spend some money. But it's important for us to go out in the world and see ourselves and other people and see our stories and our lives reflected in the people and cultures because that helps us stay together and saves us motivated to keep fighting for the rights that we still need to come down the pipeline. So I do think that what you're describing, even that kind of practice of meeting people like us is, is so important for us to continue having a queer community that's working towards a positive change. I just had an aha moment hearing you two talk. I've always wondered why we travel so much. And David and I love to do it, too. I just never knew exactly where it came from. But I think you're both right. Initially, maybe it was an escape. It was the first foray outside of our community or outside of our own head where we grew up. And then we get the bug. And everybody, most people, I think that travel, most people get that travel bug. So. You have to use it to escape. And then, of course, you get the bug and then you can't satiate yourself. You have to travel until right. you travel well, the whole world. Right. Then it's the explore. You know, yeah. one, once mm -hmm. you taste it, it's the, you know, as long as it was a good experience, <laughs> then <laughs> right. you want to experience more of it. Or just like food, you want to taste the varieties. And so that's the same place with travel. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. So you've alluded to it a couple of times. What were some of the top travel destinations for LGBTQ travelers that came up on your survey? Yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff internationally, if you are US-based, but there's stuff locally in the US. So some European countries were Italy and France, which probably doesn't surprise anybody. Greece, which definitely doesn't surprise me because Mykonos is such a big gay destination these days. Right. Spain also fell in that area. Then we have Japan listed, which is a pretty popular place for Westerners to go. So that also made sense. But then in the local or the domestic side, we had Vegas and New York City. Yeah, it was Vegas and New York City were the two biggest destinations for LGBT travelers that we surveyed. So all of these when I read this made a lot of sense to me. I was pretty surprised by Vegas being in the top 10, the only second city to New York in that list. Yeah, I think like for me, I was in Vegas the other day and I kind of understand 
in for my brief weekend there recently from why it could be on there. And I do think Vegas becomes a place due to a lot of the big festivals that happen there, the clubs, the partying. It is a space in which people kind of let loose and get to be suspended from their, their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do see that that's why like LGBT people may be interested in going there. They may be able to party with straight people in ways that they're not able to do in their hometowns because straight people are, are being a little more debaucherous, a little more open to exploration. Um, <laughs> they're catching noticed, up. <laughs> yeah, and I've noticed this trend in music festivals. You know, I've been telling a lot of our team here on the editorial side, you know, I think music festivals are the next big queer thing because I think a music festival for straight people like Coachella or Lollapalooza or Pitchfork are sites for them to explore their gender expression, their sexuality, some of them substances. But they're kind of a place where we suspend reality and get to like let ourselves fall into the music and the culture and the art and the playfulness of it all. And I think Vegas also is that. And there's that whole thing that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So I think that also <laughs> helps this trend of people wanting to go there. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just Vegas... I've always had fun every time we've been to Vegas. I just would have thought like maybe, I don't know, San Francisco or Chicago or Palm Springs, you know, might have beat that. But I guess Vegas is, if you're good with managing your money, Vegas can be pretty economical. If you don't like to gamble. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't like to gamble. But if you do like to gamble, you can get free drinks. (laughs) Exactly. That's a a great great way to save your uh, your bar tab. (laughs) Gamble with all your savings. (laughs) Did any of your study uncover some of the more safe or unsafe places for LGBTQ people to travel? I don't think we really asked that part, but I could be wrong. I'm like now like trying to pull to see if I we did. <laughs> but we do know that there are over 70 countries in the world where LGBT people still don't have the right to have same-sex relations or other legal rights that we do in America. We know that Jamaica falls really high on that list, places like Russia now, Ghana. So those are places that people weren't even marking as a place to travel because they are so notoriously anti-gay from the laws that they pass and how they do treat people for sodomy. So another one being Egypt was another that's top on that list. So let me ask you a question, Zach, along those lines. I think that there's a hesitancy for many people to want to travel to those kinds of places because of that. Do you think that there is a mechanism that we can use with our finances, with our spending to reward countries that are moving in the right direction to support gay tourism in those particular countries where maybe it's a half a million dollars or a million dollars in tourism dollars can make a difference for Mm -hmm. a gay community in one of those particular locations. I do think buying power does have a tremendous influence on making change happen in states domestically and globally. So I know that in a city like Tel Aviv in Israel, their kind of focus on the gay dollar and tourism has really helped make that area more inclusive and more welcoming to certain community members. And a lot of those marketers that are working on the Tel Aviv tourism board are really focusing on Americans and using American money to make that area more inclusive through gay tourism. So I do think it can help in some ways. And we also see tourism and the gay dollar even help us make change here locally. When you think about the NCAA tournaments in North Carolina recently, where everyone was going to pull out because the state was trying to pass anti-trans legislation, but it helped stop that. So we can see that our power, you know, there's a lot of research that we've been putting out and others have been putting out that find that LGBTQ people have a $5 trillion spending power every year globally. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I think why we're seeing this directed currently at so many businesses, whether it be like a Chick-fil-A or the NCAA, 
is because LGBT people are realizing that, like, sure, individually, we don't have a lot of money. You know, queer people in general, but gay men and lesbians do have, and trans people, have high rates of poverty. I mean, you know, the stereotype is that we're very wealthy, but we know in states like Mississippi, that's actually not the case. Right. So individually, we do struggle a lot, but collectively, because there's so many of us, we can kind of hurt people in their bottom line if we do come together. And we are seeing that happen here in America and in, across the world. Yeah, I did think it was interesting. One of the questions that we asked Grinder to add to their survey was, to what extent would you be willing to pay a premium for LGBTQ friendliness, whether it was for lodging or as a destination overall or mm -hmm. um, friendliness with an airline? And 40% responded saying they would not pay a premium for that LGBTQ friendliness. So I thought that was great. It's almost like we're indignant. We're not going <laughs> to yeah. pay a lot for this muffler. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> which is great. I mean, it's just our resiliency and like the fact that we're willing to live our lives out loud and really push change through being public about ourselves. But at the same time, 60% said that they would be willing to pay anywhere from 1% to 6% more, which I think going back to my question about kind of activism with our pink dollars, is that a way for us to affect change in particular locations? You know, yeah. So maybe we find communities that need financial support and we go in through our tourism to provide that kind of financial support when that support is going to gay businesses or back into gay activism in those communities. Yeah, I think that would be really great. And I think that's a way in which we can perform activism in really real world ways. So changing what we're buying, changing where we're paying for our hotels. Those are decisions that we get to make daily that are also very functional to our lives, where sometimes it's hard for people to go out in the streets for various reasons to protest or hold up a sign. And for many reasons, like street protests don't work for certain people. They get to ignore them. Big corporations like McDonald's are like, you know, you don't have enough people out there, so we're not going to change. <laughs> right. But if you slowly change your spending habits towards like a Wells Fargo as a bank, for instance, if you don't store your money there as much as we historically have done, they're going to notice. And right. if you're taking money away from them, then they need to think about their revenue. <laughs> right. They care about a lot. So, so, David, are you proposing sort of a guerrilla queer bar kind of mentality with <laughs> LGBTQ unfriendly countries? What? I don't know if you're familiar with a gorilla queer bar is. I don't yeah, know, I'm familiar. You know what that is. Yeah, so those. you just go, you go and barnstorm a, a, a straight bar. <laughs> bar with a whole bunch of gay people or LGBT people, and they kind of have to serve you. What I'm thinking of is, are there opportunities for us to help a community out that needs some sort of support? I'm also thinking along the lines of, we're on apps like Grindr or Facebook or all these social media apps. We're on them regularly and targeted ads are coming up to us now. And we know that when we see an ad, we know that that person is most likely targeting us because we are queer. Yes. If they're willing to do that, should we be looking at those companies a second glance and saying they're willing to spend dollars to try to market to my community, maybe that's the company I should be going with. Like you said, should I go with a Chase because they have queer content on their website, but not with a Wells Fargo because they're, you know, or whatever the case may be. Are there opportunities for us to use our money to have a good time, but also to affect change? Yeah, I think we totally can. And we released a survey, some data today at Fast Company that talked about that. And that we found this other research study that's not the travel study. We as a tech company do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. uh, we found that, you know, LGBTQ people have $5 trillion spending power, but brands are focusing on their, them and their campaigns less than 10% of the time. I think it was more like a 4 to 5%. Over half of LGBTQ consumers said they were very likely to buy a product if it did authentically market towards them. And they weren't meaning like, oh, you were in the pride parade, but they're meaning like, oh, it's the Olympics and I'm seeing myself represented in this commercial or, oh, right. it's Mother's Day and I see a mother like mine that's queer. 
Um, and when we do see that, we're seeing from the research that we are way more likely to not only begin buying that, but become incredibly loyal because LGBTQ consumers are incredibly loyal groups of people because they remember a time when they weren't even included or thought about. The little moments that we are, we really are ravenous about that. That's Absolutely. great. And just to be clear, Wells Fargo does do a lot for the queer community. They do, they do, do a lot. They do a lot. They're, they're very, one of the Fargo oldest Fargo. supporters. Yes. They're one of the oldest supporters of the community. They've been advertising yeah. for three decades, I believe. That was just a pure uh, example. Right. <laughs> one of the things that David and I loved about the data that you produced was that our community logistically and financially plans its travel, as you alluded to earlier. Many of us are planning you know, one to three months out. So it's not just like, hey, I need to get the hell away this weekend and get to Vegas. But with 58% of us stressing about our monthly weekly, as we found from a mass mutual study, and 70% of us saying we're behind in retirement savings, as we found from a prudential study, do you think, Zach, that our travel is hurting our, our financial security? I want to say yes, <laughs> it could be. I think it's definitely playing a factor. We are spending an incredible amount of money on leisure and entertainment and not focusing on our futures. We're focusing a lot on the here and now and not what could be. So I do think if we did take some of this money and invest in our financial futures like retirement or other funds like that, we would probably be more financially fit because traveling is very expensive. Vodka sodas get more expensive on vacation. So I do <laughs> think we do need to be considerate about the ways in which we are throwing money at certain things, but not seeing it kind of stay in the bank. It's something I learned once through an interview with someone, a psychologist about procrastination. And I think this is kind of financial procrastination. Like we as queer people know that we should be saving up for a while, but we're not. He talked a lot about it as trauma. You know, LGBTQ people, many of us have faced suicidality. Many of us are facing an HIV positive status and don't know where our next health care is coming from. We deal with a lot of trauma around our lives and whether we're going to be here for a while, especially when we live in a world that doesn't really want us to be here forever as trans people find. So I do think it's something, it's very much connected that we're very interested in being happy right now and doing things that we want to do right now. Because we've spent so many decades of not knowing what our political future is, what our financial futures are. So we've been like, hey, you know what, I'm going to make it work for me in this moment. And that's what I'm most worried about. But I do think we're in a moment due to how things have changed, even under our current president, that we can reimagine and understand that we are going to be here for a while and we have a lot of power and we do deserve to start planning for that future that we do have now in the ways in which our, our straight counterparts always have because they've always had the same rights. Yeah, absolutely. John and I were surprised at the percentages of income that individuals said that they are spending on travel, especially since such a large number of individuals in our community are dealing with or struggling with their finances on a regular mm -hmm. basis. I think that it's anecdotal that we know that there's a large portion of, especially cis white gay men, that have significant amounts of money because they are in a two-male head household yeah. and they spend that money on travel. But the fact that we're talking probably close to 50% of people of those surveyed, and these are millennials, so mm -hmm. they're maybe not in their prime earning years, are spending anywhere from 11 to 25 or 30% of their income on travel. I have to play devil's advocate mm -hmm. here. Because you just mentioned getting started early versus having a good time right now. Where will we end up? Where will this group end up? And that's part of the reason why John and I have queer money is we want to remind individuals that there's always a money conversation that can be had in the background of how to enjoy your life. As we like to say, live fabulously, not fabulously broke. And there's such informative data here that says that so many of us are spending a lot of money at a very young age on travel. I'm yeah. not knocking it, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think like there's something that we do have to do. I was talking to a friend about this over lunch about mentorship and really kind of taking care of the young community and giving them the skill sets they need to grow up. When I look at this and hear these stories of like millennials and young people kind of like living life in the fast lane, traveling a lot, not investing in their future, I think a lot about the fact that so many young people have been kicked out of their homes, have not had parents that were supportive of them. So it would make sense that many of them don't know how to be financially fit. No one's ever told them. And especially when you enter a community that's so obsessed with travel and having fun and always being the life of the party, it's hard for them to like kind of figure out what they should be doing, what they're looking at on Instagram. And Facebook is like, go to Mykonos, go to Mexico, <laughs> go to all this stuff. So I do think we do have a reckoning as a gay community of the fact that like we should be telling the younger folks, millennials, that like life doesn't always have to be a party. Life should be about responsibility, but also fun. Sure, every media you've seen of a queer life is like on the dance floor, but that's not what we always have to be. And it's cool right. if you want to do that, but there is some positivity in planning for your future that isn't just when your next trip is. Right. Yeah, you know, David and I, because we do what we do, we get so many emails from 50 plus year old, 60 plus year old gay men, a lot of gay men who say that they haven't prepared for retirement, they don't have anything saved and they want to know what mm -hmm. they should do. Our message to everybody is you can have that fabulous lifestyle. You can go to Mykonos, you can dance at the clubs or whatever, but you can also prepare for retirement. It's just having a healthy balance. And that's why we love that Griner did this study and is helping sort of inform that message because it helps not only gives you data on how to better serve your community, but also helps us educate the community more with how to live better, freer lives. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like when we've been talking about this, like 58% are stressing out about money, 70% are saying they're behind in their retirement funds. When I saw that, I was like, whoa, shit, shouldn't that make someone want to change something? <laughs> but when you don't live in a community that's saying and you don't see your peers planning for it, then you're like, no, nah, I guess not. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out. And I do think there's a moment where we have to begin to reconsider that notion. And I do think it takes having conversations like we're having about the realities of this, that sure, you're having a lot of fun, but what happens if you lose your job? What do you do right. next? Right. What happens if you don't have a partner that's wealthy? What do you do then? And I'm excited that we're able to be that part of that conversation, especially as Grinder. No one would ever think Grinder <laughs> would do that, but we're doing that. Right. So, so that's really exciting. I think Grinder is known for helping gay men have sex with, more gay, with other gay men. Yeah. And that's great. We totally support that. But it's also wonderful that you're, you're helping educate the LGBT community and help them you know, become better versions of themselves. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> I have to ask, you, you asked a lot of questions on this particular survey. It highlighted that LGBT people, I'm assuming a lot of gay men, when they travel, they love to look for the nightlife. They love to enjoy all the foods. They love doing the sightseeing. But going to wineries and drinking wine did not come up on the radar. <laughs> what <laughs> is wrong that. with these gay men on Grindr? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what it gives? But then I realized the other day, my sister's coming into town from Germany. I was trying to plan something for her. And I thought, oh, we could go to a, a vineyard in, in Malibu. And I was like... No, I don't know who's going to be there, so I'm going to pass on that. And I was joking about that with her. And I think there's something about, you know, there's a stereotype of us being very, like, classy. We want to do, like, very bourgeois things that go to a vineyard. But we also want to do things that are for us and by us. And I couldn't think of, like, a gay vineyard or a gay brewery um, because a lot of the gay bars or queer bars we have are kind of multi-use. Like, I've been to some nice gay cocktail lounges that also serve great wine. 
So I do think some of that has to come from the fact of like some some gay boys just don't want to go to a vineyard where they got to take a chance on not seeing another person like them. Uh, <laughs> and that's because I was doing the same thing in my head. I was like, I'm not traveling to Sonoma because there's no gay vineyard in Sonoma. Maybe we need to do a better job of like hanging out with straight people yeah. <laughs> and being straight things. Or maybe we need more gay people to open up wineries and become brewmasters. <laughs> I would go. I would go to a brewery or a gay winery. That would be amazing. So that's... Whoever's out there listening to this, that's yeah. what you should do. So open that. that. We'll be there. So we have a Queer Money Facebook group. And when we let the group know that we were interviewing someone from Grindr, one of the questions that somebody asked was, and I'm asking you off the cuff here, because I think you probably know more about technology than David and I do. Do you know if there's a Mr. B&B version for lesbians by any chance? Oh, I don't think there is, that there should be. There should be. Uh, yeah, I don't think there is. And I want to say Mr. B&B maybe integrating a lady part to it. It would make sense to me if they did that. But I don't think there is one. Mr. B&B does dominate the gay lodging space of technology right now. Yeah. So they're yeah. the only ones I'm hearing of. And I usually... Being at Grindr, you hear of every new gay dating or queer-centric app that's about to come out. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we, and I, just to let our listeners know, David and I are planning some travel later this year, and we've been researching Mr. B&B, and the pricing there is considerably cheaper than what we were finding elsewhere. So if you're looking for to do some travel and looking to keep it budget-friendly, consider looking at Mr. B&B if you haven't already. So as a technological genius <laughs> with Grindr being a leader in, in social apps. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the future in technology for travel and dating and everyday lives with technology? Oh, that's a great question. What the future I'm trying to build with our teams here and what I think that would be useful is kind of activating apps like Grindr to be more interested in providing resources and kind of broader services than just maybe an ephemeral connection with someone a hundred feet away. So I do think something like a grinder, and I'm not announcing anything, uh, but I could see that when you're using a dating app, even Tinder, you'll get information that's geolocative, that you show up in Los Angeles and you are even a straight woman on Tinder. And it will tell you like where the hottest like singles bars are in real time. There'll be even content on how to go on a first date. Kind of the technology really being your wing person. I keep hearing that a lot at tech conferences is like the wing person or the assistant, as you see with Alexa. So really looking for technology to be really intuitive and to be data-driven and based on the information that's coming from Google or from other sites that are constantly updating what to do. So I definitely see the apps and Grindr included being much broader than there's one kind of uh, function because apps for a while will always seem you have an app for this, you have an app for that. But for my colleagues at Google and even Facebook, I'm seeing much more integration happen and to where it's very seamless and it's communicating across different platforms in one space. So that's what I'm saying. In the next few years, you're going to be able to like use a grinder and grinder will help you find your dinner. You'll find you know, <laughs> where more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you like cake? We got cake. We got cake, cake. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I see happening. A much more intuitive technology. Nice. That's great. Anything new and exciting with Grindr that you want to share? Yeah. So in terms of the app, we've launched Explore. Uh, some people may be like, yo, didn't Scruff have that already? And they call it Venture, but it's true. We have now opened the app to be global, no matter where you're at, which is also falls into our travel section because we knew that people were wanting to, they were like, oh, if only I could see what the Grinder users look like in London before I got there. So we allow that. You can drop the scale all the way down to like 
a general area of a city for a few blocks or drop the scale up. That's really cool. That's really opening up the app to the world. And then also our digital platform, Into, which is my child. We're trying to make it the go-to place for people to get queer news and culture. From our, We have a team of reporters. We have over 200 contributing writers. We do videos. And our whole take is telling the stories and talking about the world all through a queer lens. So it's just not only Drag Race, because we do talk about Drag Race a lot. That <laughs> <laughs> might be the March for Our Lives this week with the students walking out of their high school. So we've been doing stories on the high school students that are LGBTQ that are participating in this very national conversation. And we're making sure our users and readers all have access to it. So that's kind of what Sound Life for Grinder is that we're wanting to continue to be really connected to your life in a multitude of ways. It does seem interesting. I was just watching a podcast with Lewis Howes interviews Jason Silva. And yeah. Silva was talking about how phones are really, and not in a creepy way, are becoming an extension of ourselves. Right. Yeah. And they're going to help us in the same way that being able to use fire and cook food helped us you know, grow our brains and also narrowed our jaws. Phones are going to become an extension of ourselves and become more service to us. And it may be what people would say is a distraction today. Yeah, no, I totally, totally see. I mean, you saw that even with like the fact that wallets now are part of iPhone cases, that just is more proof that like the things in which we're most connected to are becoming the house for all of the other things we need. And that's exciting, but it's also very like Big Brother-esque. Yeah. <laughs> like phone is now are an extension of our lives, but it is the way in which technology moves. Right. That is the delicate balance though, right? Some of this technology, the more it simplifies our lives, the more it kind of exposes us to maybe what we don't want to be exposed to. This is off the cuff as well, and I apologize What's your recommendation on balancing that, especially if you're going to be traveling in a country that mm -hmm. may not be LGBT friendly? Using apps when you get there to have uh, real connections with people to get reliable information is always really important and a good way to like circumvent certain violence or issues that may arise when you're going to a country that may not really love who you are truly. But when you do find those places in a country, because every country, while there are a lot of anti-LGBTQ legislation there, there are safe spaces there for queer people. Queer people aren't just having these terrible times of their lives, but they are finding hope and love and a lot of activism even in places like Ghana or in Cuba and so on and so forth, or Jamaica. So when you do get access to those places and you get to meet people, be present, get off your phone have a real conversation with someone and learn something new. I think that's something in my whole career, especially as a journalist and when I was a columnist, was telling people like, when you are connecting with someone, make sure you put everything else away. And when you're in a gay bar, stop using Grindr. <laughs> stop <laughs> using Grindr. Like be there. Right. Uh, and don't forget that like, we are the most connected than we've ever been in our entire history of the world, but people will feel the most alone, I would say, than they've ever had. And I think we need to do a better job of balancing those two things and seeing these apps and different technologies as a point of connection, but knowing that when you do connect with a person, that's when you need to start being present. So even as Energy for Grinder, I'm saying use Grinder all the time, keep using it for 60 minutes a day, but also when you meet with someone, be there with that person. Right. That's going to be really important. Right. Look in their eyes and have a conversation. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. a skill we're, we're losing. And if more people are doing that, we've, we've seen statistics recently where the time that people are spending on apps like Facebook is dropping. So if people are putting their phone away in, in their back pocket while they're walking through the bar and you're staring at your phone, you might be missing the one you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Oh, and, that's and that's like, and that's why the, you should be present the most because your husband or wife may have just walked past you and you just missed out. So. <laughs> right. You gotta, gotta stay present. David tried to walk past me and I didn't allow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like, I like that. <laughs> so this might be a self-evident question, but we like to ask it on every podcast. Where can our listeners keep up to speed with all things going on with Grinder and find out more about what you're doing? 
Yeah. So Grinders social media is a really active place. We have a really wonderful social team, always updating the people that follow us and what we're doing. For Into, our social media also is great. It's going to keep up with news and culture. And that's just all Into, I-N-T-O. And then also our website for Into is intomore.com. That has all of the up-to-the-minute news and updates from us here at Grinder and what's happening in the world. Awesome. Right. And, and what about the survey? If individuals are interested in a little bit more detail about the survey, where can they find that? They can email me, actually, and I'm fine with you emailing me. <laughs> um, email at submissions at grinder.com. That will go to a team of us that handle requests like this. Because I don't think it's been put on the internet yet, but we're about to. So it's more to come on that. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks again for doing the study. We think it's going to be super helpful for not only us, but the LGBT community in general. So, and I'm sure yeah. that's helping Grinder as well. So wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And thank you for having me on. It was great talking to you guys about this. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Zach and Grinder, for conducting such an informative and helpful study about our community and its tribal habits. Travel will forever be a part of our community. Our lesson from Grinder's survey and this discussion is that our passion for travel doesn't have to sabotage our financial security. With the right money strategy that you can get from DebtFreeGuys.com and the Queer Money Podcast, we can all travel well, live fabulously, and be financially secure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. This episode was brought to you by the upcoming Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. If you like this or any other Queer Money episode, please remember to like, comment, and share Queer Money on iTunes so that we can help more LGBTQ people. Thank you. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at Queer.Money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.